Well, good morning. Happy Sabbath, everybody. It's good to see you. Before we begin, I'll just invite you to join me for one more word of prayer. Father God, as we walk through Psalm 23 together, we just pray that you would speak to our hearts, that as we consider the worries of our hearts, that we would that you would cause us to come to you to bring our worries to you, that we might find uh, restoration of our hearts, that we might find peace in you. We just pray that your spirit would be here to speak to us and to guide us. We pray in your name. Amen. So this, uh, this morning's sermon is entitled, Fighting the War on Worry, Becoming a Warrior. Fighting the War on Worry, Worry, <laughs> Becoming a Warrior. I think that was just, I think I tried too hard there, but you get what, you get what the topic is about. I don't know if you heard about the man who worried so much that he posted a um, an ad on the paper. He wrote, urgently needed professional worrier ready to take on any trouble at a time. 24-7 care required. Ideal candidate knows everything. Salary, $200,000 a year. Not a bad job, hey? Well, after the man, after he found a man to accept the job, the... Uh, the individual asked his employer, where are you going to find $200,000 a year? To which the employer replied, well, that's your worry. Sadly, worrying is one job that you cannot outsource. Worry is something that's hard to get a handle on. It's hard to let go of. It's irritating to carry and yet impossible to give away. Worry splits our energy between today's priorities and tomorrow's problems. Today we're going to be going through Psalm 23 together. So if you have your white Bibles, I'm going to invite you to turn with me to Psalm 23. And I believe this psalm addresses two specific causes of worry. Psalm chapter 23, and we're going to read through the whole passage in just a moment. As you read through this chapter, I'm going to ask you to focus on two specific causes for worry. Two specific causes for worry. The first one is want, and the second one is fear. See, the first cause is our heart's desire to always want something more. I don't know if you've ever felt like, man, if I can just have that one job, or man, if I could just be with that one partner, or if I can just have that one car or whatever it is. It's just that one more thing. Worry comes from that fear that our desires will not be fulfilled. And so we worry about them. Our lives will not have the significance that it should. Our goals for wealth, comfort, or prosperity will not be fulfilled. And hence goes the constant cycle of worrying. BuzzFeed posted this article and it was entitled, How Millennials Became the Burnout Generation. And it's a pretty long article, but I highly encourage you to go and read that article. Um, it's called, the, uh, just repeating it, How Millennials Became the Burnout Generation. And the article really highlights the different social, political, and economic contexts of us and ourselves and the different generations. 
For example, uh, education in Australia at one point in time was free. And for those of you who were born and raised here, you would already know that. But uh, between 1974 and the mid-1980s, university was free. That is just amazing to me. The national median house and unit costs from 93, If you, there's a graph on the uh, Aussie home mortgage uh, website, but you can see this graph that looks at the median cost of houses from 1993 all the way to, uh, to 2019. And it's kind of nice because when you look at the 2019 year, there's like a small dip, right? But if you consider the cost of, or if you consider inflation, the reality is that houses were still way cheaper back then. Um, I, I personally know a pastor who owns four houses, and I thought, how are you so wealthy? And he was like, oh, when, when I graduated university, houses were like $35,000. I was like, that's so cool. And here's the reality. We as the millennial, or for those of us who are in the millennial generation, we live in a different context. We have to work hard, live well if we want to make it. And that doesn't mean, that's not taking away from any of the other generations. I remember being four years old, riding on the back of my dad's pickup truck, eating popsicle sticks or eating popsicles with my, bro with my brother who was 11 years old at the time. So picture this, driving through the streets of Michigan in this beat up Toyota pickup truck. No, no restraint, no safety harness, nothing. And we're eating like popsicles with wooden sticks in them. <laughs> <laughs> I remember hours of unsupervised play. Today, my children, and I kid you not, at one point in, nine, at one point in time, had six different car seats, like safety car seats. And I looked around the house and I thought, you know, these things are worth a lot of money. We can actually sell them off and make, bring, bring back some of the money that it cost to buy these silly things. Well, they're not silly. They're really important. <laughs> Today, my children do not have hours of unsupervised play. We have play dates. We have to network, or not we have to. There is social pressure to network with other parents and just exchange phone numbers and ask them, oh, what playground do you go to? Or what play center do you frequent? And there's this different level of standard. And the reality is that there's a different level of social uh, requirement of today's adulting generation. And so the question is, how do we cope? And the response is, we work hard, we worry, and we burn out. So how do you deal with the pressures of today? What hope do we have that we will find fulfillment tomorrow? Let's look at Psalm chapter 23. I'm going to read through the whole passage, and I invite you to read with me. The Lord is my shepherd. I have all that I need. He lets me rest in green meadows. He leads me beside peaceful streams. He renews my strength. He guides me along right paths, bringing honor to his name. Even when I walk through the darkest valley, I will not be afraid, for you are close beside me. Your rod and your staff protect me and comfort me. You prepare a feast for me in the presence of my enemies. You honor me by anointing my head with oil. My cup overflows with blessing. Surely your goodness and unfailing love will pursue me all the days of my life. And I will live in the house of the Lord forever.
In this psalm, there are some interesting insights to fulfillment. David says that the Lord is his shepherd. The Lord is his leader, and he chooses to follow wherever Jesus leads him. And it is in doing that that he finds fulfillment. He says, I have all that I need. Uh, More um, accurate translations might use this phrase, I shall not want or I will not want. See, according to David, contentment comes when you seek restoration of soul a building up of righteousness for God's name's sake. When you think of those two things, restoration of soul and righteousness, these things, they are not temporal. They are eternal, and therefore they are fulfilling. You see, when things are transient, they cannot bring lasting happiness because that transient thing passes away. And when it passes away, when it runs out, so does our happiness. See, heaven doesn't know us by the things that we have. Heaven knows us by our hearts. And David says, this is where I have found fulfillment. I love that David writes down a list of things of what it is that God has to offer. See, it's easy to bring to God what we want. And oftentimes, we are disappointed with God because the answer comes back as a no But David allows God to lead him. David asks God, what do you want to give me? David found pasture where discontentment goes to die. David found that what he had in God was greater than what he didn't have in his life. There's a passage that I'd like you to look at. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 6. 1 Timothy is near the end of the Bible. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 6. And for those of you who have those uh, white world changer Bibles, it's going to be page 959. Page 959. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 6. says here yet true godliness with contentment is itself great wealth here's another translation godliness with contentment is great gain this is a really peculiar passage to me because it uses the word contentment and gain well how do you gain anything if you don't want anything Does that make sense? And so when I read this passage, it makes me kind of wonder, what is this author or what is Paul getting at? I think we find fulfillment in gain. And so you must gain something. And so I believe the text is saying there is great gain when you are content with godliness. And the problem is that many times we are not content with godliness. We find contentment in other things. And so the end, the net result is not gain, but loss. And so here, as Paul is writing to his disciple, Timothy, he's saying, I want you to know what it means to actually find fulfillment and gain the right things. See, God knows we have passions. He knows we have dreams. He wants us to make him our our shepherd so those dreams can be grounded in eternity. Did you know that we are with a global enterprise? 
you are a part of a global enterprise right here, right now. We have branches in every country in the world. We have representatives in almost every parliament, government, and boardroom on earth. We run hospitals, feeding rooms, crisis pregnancy centers, universities, publishing houses, and nursing homes. We care for our clients from birth to death. Our product is free for the asking, and there isn't enough money to buy it. You and I are part of a very, very important organization. That organization is called the kingdom of God. It's in this kingdom of God that we find fulfillment. I love how David writes here, my cup runs over. My cup, not, it's not that his cup is full, it overflows with blessing. He says, all the days of my life, I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. David found lasting fulfillment. It's amazing what you can gain when you are content with God. You can gain a healthy relationship with those that are around you. You can gain hours with your children. You can gain self-respect. You can gain joy. See, when God calls up to when God calls us to give up discontentment, we don't just give up something. We gain something. God replaces that want with that which is fulfilling. The second cause for worry in our hearts that the text highlights is fear. Fear is an acronym. It stands for false evidence appearing real. False evidence appearing real. I don't know if you've ever had a stressful moment the next day, whether it was talking to someone or addressing a challenge, or you're going to have a very uncomfortable meeting, and you work through all the different possibilities of what might happen. And I can tell you there have been hours and hours of anxiety where I'm like, oh, tomorrow's going to be a bad day because I know this is going to happen. And as I work through those scenarios and the day comes, I find that those scenarios don't actually happen. The moments where I feel like this person is really angry and this is going to be uncomfortable, that's not what happens. Fear is false evidence appearing real. See, in this passage, David says, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. I like how this text is realistic. God doesn't always take away the difficulty, but he will take away the fear. And that's where the promise lies. How do you take away the fear without taking away the difficulty? You look at different stories in the Bible. There's a story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And they decide to stand rather than bow before an, uh, before an idol. And the punishment for that uh, stance of faith was getting thrown into a fiery furnace. And so God doesn't protect them from the fiery furnace. But what he does do is protect them from the fear. I think the ultimate example in uh, Trump example, uh, I'm supposed to be Trump card, but the ultimate example in the Bible is Jesus himself. God doesn't protect Jesus from the cross. God doesn't protect Jesus from going through the Garden of Gethsemane. But what God does protect Jesus from is the fear. And you see Jesus wrestling with God multiple times. God, take away this uh, take away this punishment or take away your cup. Take away this judgment. Take away this judgment. 
and God gives him strength. He gives him the ability to overcome the fear. I find the greatest way to take away the false reality that fear brings is to cling to the truth of God. Cling to the truth of God. If there's something in your life that causes you anxiety, something in your life that causes you worry, something that causes you fear, read a story in the Bible that's connected to that fear and allow God to rescript that reality. And I find in that rescripting, I find great comfort. If somebody is condemning me and my fear is that person thinks I'm a loser, I find reading scripture of what God thinks of me, I'm able to find a new scripting of that perspective. And rather than focusing on what that person thinks, I can focus on what God thinks. If I make a mistake at work, there's this fear of, oh no, my career is going to tank. My career is doomed. But if I look at the fact that God is leading me in my life, regardless of the mistakes or the directions or failures that I've had, I can still trust in the fact that God is leading. Cling to the truth of God. Let the false reality fall away. David highlights one other point. He says that though he walks through the valley, God is with him. He is his shepherd. There is incredible comfort in uh, in community. Incredible comfort in community. I find that the tendency of dealing with fear and the tendency of going through difficulty is the false truth that we should be going through it alone. You see, there's independence. And independence is often associated with strength, with resilience, But the reality is that there are very few people that go through life 100% by themselves. Independence is not sustainable. It's not realistic. Strength is not found in independence. We usually associate weakness with dependence, with interdependence. But the reality is that there's a difference between those who try to build their lives by themselves and those who build their lives in community. The life that you build looks incredibly different when you don't do it by yourself. When we look at fear, God, or excuse me, when we look at difficulty, as I've mentioned, God doesn't always take away the difficulty, but he promises us to, he promises to walk with us through difficulty. When we look at difficulty, don't measure the size of the difficulty. Talk to the one who will go through it with you. Instead of carrying the world on your shoulders, talk to the one who carries the universe on his. You know, we've been going through, um, we've been organizing prayer groups in our church, and we've encouraged um, or we've invited um, you as a church to join us in this uh, eight-week journey. And I think um, we've kind of gone through a couple weeks of it already. But there's something so powerful about praying together with somebody to God and saying, God, this is what I'm going through. Will you step into my life? There's something so powerful to the soul, to the heart, and to the emotions when you know somebody's going through it with you. I'm just going to re-invite you. If you want to join us in our um, the remainder of the eight weeks of prayer, 
and you're saying, yeah, I, I do actually do want to pray with somebody. I do want to connect with somebody in the church. I do want to connect with God. Feel free to contact myself. Feel free to contact Jinha, and we'll be happy to connect you with somebody. You know, I connected with uh, one person in this in, in this prayer partner um, program that we're running. And it was so interesting because as we were just kind of sharing about our week, I haven't talked to this person in months. And the person just opened up so much, and then I was able to open up to the individual as well. And it was just such an incredible sense of community and connection and encouragement. And at the end of it, the person was like, hey, thank you so much. Like, I, I thought I was helping you out with your program, and I found out that you're helping me out. And I was like, well, likewise. Like, I was like, oh, well, I feel like I have to be the pastor and call that person. And I found at the end of the conversation, I was encouraged. There's incredible strength in walking through difficulty and diversity with community or with those who can encourage you. Would you join me in prayer as we close for today? Father God, as we consider this psalm, as we consider the things that worry our hearts, whether it's want or fear, I just pray that you would encourage us Give us the strength to overcome worry. Give us the strength to be able to do what we need to do to accomplish what we need to accomplish and overcome those things that cause us concern. We pray these things in your name. Amen.